Thank you for joining us at the Roundtable. Brought to you by Community Education Arts, a nonprofit organization based in Noblesville, Indiana. I'm Alice Cavanis Gober, President of CE Arts. And I'm Sarah E. Morin, Secretary of CE Arts. Let's sit down at the Roundtable. Welcome back to this year's NICE discussion. So moving on, next up I suggested Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel, and I believe this was 1989. Um, this has got so much in it. Again, I think I'm falling into the five or six category with this one this year, simply because it is a, it's separated into 12 sections books chapters whatever it you know it is a very complicated story i mean it is there's a lot going on in this book and it's not a short book um but there's so much going on in this there's you know recipes you know there's mexican recipes there's self-growth there's violence there's bullying there's passion there's rebellion there's feminism in 1910 particularly mexican feminism and it's just there's so much going on in this book i i'm falling down on thinking how would we do it justice mm. um but I, I i don't know i mean there's there's a lot there's a lot to recommend it, not the least of which is it's a you know relatively underrepresented voice. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think? Um, I was intrigued with your description of it last time when we recorded. Um, I do like that it is um, a different culture that I don't think that we've really captured in our nice project before. Mm -hmm. um, I am also intrigued that the art form that is intrinsic in it is cooking. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, that's that's. It's so unique. I hate to so unique. It's unique. I mean, it's right. Mm -hmm. uh, I would give it because I'm intrigued with it a seven. If you feel like it would be, um, pardon the pun, uh, too much to bite off and chew <laughs> for this year, you know, that, that's fine. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of around the seven okay. number as well. Um, it is, like I said, it, it's something I feel like. I mean, it's 12 sections. Each one is named after a month in the year. You know, each section starts with a recipe. Um, the, the chapters connects eat, connect each dish to an event in the protagonist's life. And she's 15 at the beginning of the story and it goes through her life um, until, I can't remember how old she is at the end of the story. I apologize for that audience. I should know that. But it goes, it, it's not one year in the life of this person. It's a month out of a month in several years, you know, one month per year for over several years in her life. And it's really, really, um, it's something that I almost feel like we need to look at again, that niggling idea of a, a deeper context, a deeper discussion than, than what we do with having four books and four standalone passages. Mm -hmm. It's almost too much for our nice project. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So that one will be a seven from both of us. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, next one I had proposed, Pygmalion. Um, a, just because, you know, looking for different types of uh, literary genres, this is a play. Yeah. Um, also, it is famous because it is the basis for My Fair Lady. A lot of the, the dialogue and the lines mm -hmm. are identical, um, but the tone is different. And so one reason I like this is that people who are only familiar with My Fair Lady might be surprised at the very uh, different ending and what its implications are for self-worth, dignity, feminism, okay. you know, uh, economic class. Yeah. Um, um, I think I would probably, I would greatly enjoy doing it. I think I might give it a five for this year. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it is somewhat overrepresented. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But while it would be fun, I'd probably just give it a five. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it would be a, a romp as it were. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much we could do with it. I give it a I give it a six, I think, in this in this okay. context. Um, and mostly, you know, upping it one notch from what you gave it for all the reasons you gave. I just love the fact that people say, oh, yeah, I know that story. And then no, they really don't in some ways uh, because they know the movie my fair lady or the um learner and low uh production they're they're going to be thinking oh yeah i know i know that story well the original is a little different like you said and so i'm very very fond of it for that reason uh, but yeah for this this year i give it a six okay next up is one of my top contenders i really love this um a passage to india by em forster 1924. this is probably uh a eight or a nine for me okay um this the and here's why we were talking about kind of underrepresented uh aspects that we always try to seek for um nice this is written by uh, a not underrepresented person at all this is a em forster classic british white male author however he's writing about uh india and colonialism in the 1920s and um it's it's written in a way that i mean we've we've dealt with books before that we've had to kind of have a a warning out there that when this was written or the story that it tells you know there's going to be stuff in here that's offensive to people today and we're looking at this book in context of when it was written and what it's about and this is one of those books because if you mention colonialism and britain and and india i mean right away you think racism you know if nothing else and so you're you know you know you're going to have some stuff that's very offensive this this book goes even farther because it has to do with um accusations of rape um and stuff like that and so and and then again there's also that class consciousness of uh upper class and lower class and who fits and who can be friends and all that kind of stuff and so i feel like this has a lot going on for it and given that and given its style of writing which again some people would say you got to slog through it to get you the story but it can be in, it can be summarized pretty easily and it is readily available because it's a it's, it is a classic um and i feel like we could find a standalone passage pretty easily that would take us somewhere into the story without having to have the whole story if someone didn't want to read the whole book i'm very intrigued also in this book there's this idea of this echo 
that happens in the cave, literally in a cave. And, and it's this echo thing, this phenomenon where memory deceives you. You, 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 what really happened and what you think happened diverge. And it's because of this echo that, and I just love that element in the story. And I, I would love the chance to kind of bring that into a modern day conversation. You know, it's that dissonance between reality and fake news or, you know, whatever, you know, is happening out there that isn't really reality, but people are talking about it and acting about it as if it were, you know, so there's that element that really intrigues me, um, especially on a kind of an interpersonal relationship kind of level. Um, because again, one of the one of the situations in the story is an accusation of rape uh, between uh, a man and a woman who are acquainted with each other. Um, they're not in a relationship, they're just acquainted, but they're, they're, it, that's an intimate kind of accusation, right? And so their their relationship changes not like in reality, but in how they have to think about each other as they undergo this this uh, process of an accusation of rape, a trial, and all this kind of stuff. So um, I I just feel like it's really got a lot going for it. Um, I don't know. That's that's my <laughs> that's my take on it. <laughs> no, that's that's a very convincing argument. Um, I think that I'm intrigued by what you're saying about the nature of memory. I think that could lead to a lot of interesting art. Mm -hmm. Um, so while I, I have no personal connection, haven't read it, anything like that to the book. So I'd probably put it like a six. I'm willing to let you persuade me and say, yeah, let's do the thing. Well, another, another thing that's interesting is that it's based on, uh, true stories. It, E.M. Forster wrote this based on his own time in India. Mm -hmm. Um, early critics of the book, when it first came out, they were horribly offended by the friendship, the interracial camaraderie between two of the characters in the book, Aziz and Fielding. And, you know, that has changed. Um, you know, now we look at this book as um, th this is a text that's, yes, it's a work of quote, orientalist fiction, that's not my phrase, that's a phrase I found online, contributing to a discourse on colonial relationships by a European. So it is actually a relevant book um, to any kind of racism and classism and all that kind of stuff anywhere in the world, not just between British, colonial British and, and Indian uh, relationships. So I feel like it's, it's important that way. It's also important because when it was published, most portrayals of India were as a savage, disorganized land, much like Africa would was at the same time being described and South America was being described in current culture at the time. This novel debunked that, okay, in a lot of ways. And so that's important historically, if you think about it that way. Um, so I feel like this was, uh, this is really an important text for those things for for I don't know how else to say it, but awareness of other cultures and seeing them. This is yes, written by a white European man, but he lived in India. It's based on what he saw and, and his experiences. 
and people he knew. And so there are real life people behind these characters. And I find that really intriguing. Um, I kind of had that in my mind as I was uh, rereading the book. Um, and I think we could find, like I said, I think we would be able to find some some good passages to select from. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm up there with a nine on this one. I really like it. <laughs> sure. No, no. I mean, it sounds like a really strong case there. Yeah. yeah and the, and the, the two main female ca characters alone are rich to, to discuss the mm -hmm. echo itself. I mean, it caused the echo causes two women to literally fall apart for lack of a better phrase in different ways. And one of them actually cries rape because of the echo's effect on her memory. I mean, it's fascinating. It's just, I mean, it's just, oh, I'm just I get chills. <laughs> Okay, so uh, what do you think? I mean, you, I, I get, oh, no, I already said it. The, the, I can't remember I, what your number was, but okay. I'm, I'm putting it at a six just because I have no personal connection, but I think right. you have a very strong argument, so I'm fine with making it one okay. of four. Okay, so, we'll see um, what happens. Um, I then had the painted veil uh, by Somerset Maugham, but I'm willing to let that go. Uh, yeah, I think if I, we're going to do um, a book from the 1920s um, already, then we probably shouldn't do two from the 1920s. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I feel like, you know, who, who doesn't love a dysfunctional couple story, but we can come back to this another time. <laughs> um, yes. And then I also am willing to let go the Razor's Edge, which was another uh, Somerset Mon, William Somerset Mon story. Um, and then my top choice of all my choices uh, is a midnight midnight in the garden of good and evil uh, by John Barrent from 1994. That is my I give that a 10. I love this book so much, and I think it, it's a get also based on real life situation. It's a nonfiction novel, if you will, and um, I think most of our audience would be familiar with it. If they're not familiar with the book, they're going to be familiar with the movie, and they're going to be familiar with the cover of the book. Um, you know, so it, it's just got so much in it. It's got Savannah. It's got transgender characters. It's got murder trials. I mean, it's got homosexuality. It's got so much stuff in this book that I can't even tell you where we could go with this. It could go lots and lots of places and so i'm very very um intrigued by this one and uh definitely that's probably my favorite on my list mm -hmm. yeah I'm, I'm going to rank this pretty high um a i like the idea of some more representation with lgbtqa plus characters yes. Yes. but also here's another reason why which when we recorded this i would not have thought of this um the world right now is fascinated with trials because mm -hmm. of this huge Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's its own thing. I'm not going to make commentary about it on the podcast, but I think that the ins and outs of how a trial works is of mm -hmm. interest right now. So this might be the summer to cover some of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think this is a really, this would be an interesting one to look at because even though it is, you know, 1994, um, this this stands the test of time in a lot of ways with the issues in the book the issues that the the cultural issues in the book still exist it's still relevant um the the wealth wealth differential between the victim and the perpetrator the homosexuality in the closet out of the closet i mean just that alone is still something that's relevant the transgender characters 
Um, you know, again, we haven't had, uh, we, I don't think we've had anything that even came close to something like that to have, have that kind of those, those kind of characters that we can talk about, um, and, and, you know, get to know them, you know, I think, I think it'd be a really good option. That's just, you know, great. Um, and then my last suggestions honestly were just because I was looking for um, different genres and I thought yes. well we could do a poet we did Langston Hughes several years ago and it was great fun mm -hmm. um, poet choices that I had mentioned were Gwendolyn Brooks Maya Angelou and Emily Dickinson I think I would remove Emily Dickinson um, I love her poetry but she is a little overrepresented mm -hmm. um, I would be fine with Brooks or Angelou but again I think that they are up against some ones that we've thought through a little bit harder. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love all those, but I think you're right. I think we've talked about every year we bring up Emily Dickinson. I mean, one of these times we're going to have to do something with Emily Dickinson, whether it's nice or some other project, because mm -hmm. every year she comes up. <laughs> we just love her. Um, I love your Gwendolyn Brooks. We real, we real cool is the title that you, um, focused on in the list and Maya Angelou, Phenomenal Woman, Still I Rise. These are, I mean, these are, I love these and I do want to talk with you about these. I just don't know if they're um, up for this year, you know, mm -hmm. given some of the other things, like you said, we've already looked at a little more deeply. Um, maybe we need to do a, a poetry, I don't know, some sort of poetry project that only looks at, at you know, three, three female poets or something like that. And we could, you know, t take these three poets and look at them and their work and see what compares and contrasts the old compare and contrast, you know, literary analysis, you know, going back to school. <laughs> Join us next time as we continue our discussion of our nice books. This has been At the Roundtable with Alice and Sarah E. of Community Education Arts. Our nonprofit organization is based in Noblesville, Indiana. You can find us online at cearts.org. We'd like to thank James Weston for writing our intro music and for his technical savvy. Join us next time at, at the, the Roundtable. Table.